0: Welcome to the Nation's Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. How many of you believe or still believe that God still so loves the world? That He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, so we can have eternal life, everlasting life. Amen? Well, if you believe that with all your heart, then you would know intuitively that Jesus coming to the world was so much more than so we can listen to more Mariah Carey songs and Michael Bublé's Christmas album, even though those two albums are on constant play at my house because Isaiah loves it. It's so much more than presents under a plastic Christmas tree. Hello. Right? Christmas was all about the greatest mandate that heaven embarked on in the history of humanity. That mandate was to restore mankind into relationship with God. And guess what? From that day back then to this day today, that mandate has been bequeathed to the church to fulfill. I don't know what you think about this whole deal of church is. Maybe you think it's driving to your local building where you see the Sign Nations Church. I don't know what you think that is. It might be just be logging online to, 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 to watch a, a, a bald guy yell at you through the screen. I don't know what you think church means for you. But sometimes I think the church has lost its urgency of what we're truly called to do. Because I think the world has actually hijacked our revelation And not just that, but our zeal and our conviction around what really matters the most. The Gospel of John chapter 4 has an incredible account that I keep coming back to in the different seasons uh, throughout the year. But firstly, you know, because it's in the Gospel, so it's like, you know, it's one of my go-tos. I often read it. Um, So there's so many layers that you can see, you know, as as you read it, but... I think secondly, most importantly, is that this account actually reminds us of what matters most. See, Jesus and his disciples were really weary and hungry from a long stint of ministry. They'd been walking and uh, they, they, they passed through from Judea all the way to Galilee. They had to pass through a town called Syca, which was full of Samaritans. That might not mean much to you today, wherever you're watching this from, but Samaritans were like, if you think about an ethnic divide. The Jews and the Samaritans just did not mix. The Jews, in fact, despised the Samaritans. The Samaritans felt rejected by the Jews. There was all of those things going on there. Uh, the, a Samaritan would, would, would have been considered a, as someone too inferior for a Jewish person to mix with or to talk with. And, and what happens in this account of John chapter 4 literally had an amazing shock factor. How many of you know that Jesus doesn't care about, about keeping the status quo? Sometimes he likes to disrupt what is our social norms, our paradigms of thinking? So right here, Jesus sits at a well in the middle of the day while his disciples, as weary and hungry as he was, decides to go into town for their lunch. They, they, they go in and, and they, they get all their food and they fulfill their earthly hunger. But Jesus decides, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to sit by a well in the middle of the day and wait to see who comes along. Now, how many of you know that Jesus doesn't do things by accident? He knows exactly what was going to go on. He meets a Samaritan woman. She rocks up at the well. She's here to fetch water. at the middle of the day, no one else fetches water in the middle of the day. This woman does. He engages with conversation with her. While he was talking to her, he prophetically reads her card. He tells her about her life. He says to a woman, I know why you're here. You're here to draw water, but in in, in fact, you've been married five times and the current man that you're with right now, you're not married to at all. You're actually looking for so much more than just to satiate the thirst inside your body. You're looking for something to fulfill the longing in your soul. And he says to her, woman, I know exactly what's going to be the solution for your life. And that is living water. And if you drink of this living water, you will never thirst again. To which the woman says, well, what is this living water? To which Jesus says, well, I am He. I am right here. Jesus reveals himself to her. She has a radical conversion, right? As he's finishing up the conversation with her, the disciples had gone into the city to fulfill their earthly hunger, walk out and they see this account of Jesus outside of the city. And we pick up this account here, John chapter 4, verse 27. It says, at this point, his disciples came. So at the point of after Jesus had already led this woman to salvation and to relationship with the Father, they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? It's a little bit like how you, when you see someone doing the right thing, but you haven't been doing the right thing, you, 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 just, you just shut up. That's what the disciples were doing. It says, Then the woman, being a Samaritan now saved, then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Because that's all they knew what to say, right? But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Well, has anyone brought him anything to eat? They're still thinking about food how many of you, after you've eaten, you still think about food? The disciples, right? Jesus had to clarify. You can imagine Jesus face palming, right? He said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Say, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. Today, I want to speak to you on the thought, what matters most what matters most have you ever wondered or asked yourself the question what matters most to God have you ever stopped I don't know about you but in my daily Christian walk what is predominantly dominating my thinking is not necessarily what matters most to God is often what matters most to me If you think about the prayers, if you think about the things that are the concerns of my heart, I rarely, let's be honest and candid with each other here, I rarely stop and think, God, what's close to your heart? What matters most to you? Because I can tell you now, as I journey my Christian walk, most of the things that I think about are what matters to me. What I want, what I need, what I love, what my passions are, what is my calling, what is my next direction, what is that you want from me next? And and we quote beautiful things that we stick at the back of our toilet door, like Psalm 37 verse 4, For he shall grant you the desires of your heart. We love that and it's all theologically true, but I want to broaden your thinking today. I want to ask you, maybe open up your heart to a broader, wider conversation and ask you today, does what matter most to you line up with what matters most to God? Does what matter most to you right now, the thing that's weighing heavily on you, does that line up with maybe what matters most to God? I think that's a good audit of our heart, isn't it? only four of you think so. No, no, no. What matters most to me matters most, PK. Come on. How many of you think that that's actually a good question to ask? Because a great tragedy of our Christianity is to live our lives in pursuit of what matters most to us, only to find out at the other side of eternity that it didn't really line up at all with what matters most to God. What a tragedy to live our Christian life. See, the Disciples were urgently seeking out food. They went into the city to get lunch. Nothing wrong with that. We all do that. But Jesus was using this as a teaching moment. He foregoes the opportunity to satisfy his own hunger. You've got to remember Jesus, divine, was now in earthly form. He felt hungry just like you and I feel hungry. He feels tired, just like you and I felt tired. But he sets aside his earthly priorities in order to outwork eternal priorities. He reaches, he sits by and waits for the Samaritan woman, which he had culturally every right to ignore. Not important, you're inferior, I don't need to have time for you. See, how many of you know that when you're tired and hungry, the last thing that you feel like doing is to share your life with somebody that you have every right to reject? It's no accident Jesus uses this moment to show us the condition of the human heart that we are all predisposed to from time to time, if not all the time, in that we are constantly self-focused and, and our ability to pick and choose as to what we want to do. And, and the disciples kind of the city and they're feeling a little bit sheepish, right? And, and even after seeing Jesus doing what they should have been doing right by his side, sharing the gospel with Him, they come out, they see Jesus doing this so much so that they had they even had to say, oh, Jesus, oh, you know, I, I, we see what you're doing, but has anyone brought you anything to eat? How don't know if you know that, that sometimes we reduce Jesus down to our level of need. They wanted to reduce Jesus to think about what mattered to them most. But Jesus was using this as a teaching moment to elevate them. To say, hey, I want you to know what matters to me most. Come on, in your amen. Jesus says this in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. In other words, He's saying my priorities are the priorities of heaven. I know what was important to you, disciples, which was filling your belly and there's nothing wrong with that but you need to understand that there are things that are closer to my heart that are more of eternal value than things that are close to your heart that are of earthly value and today I believe prophetically right now God is reawakening in the church the things that matter most to god god is reviving in in us his heart what is that you might ask well for a time i think the church has been consumed with receiving favor and blessing and comfort and peace and all these things are great all those things are biblical and all those things are very much in the heart of god for you but you need to understand that's not the priority of heaven some of you go what you mean Heaven's priority is not to bless me. No. I acknowledge this as potentially disruptive theology for some of you. But God's priority is not to bless you. The whole idea of Christmas was not presents under a tree. And more Mariah Carey and Michael Buble is to restore a lost humanity with the Heavenly Father. We've forgotten it has been hijacked by the retailers. If you want to know why the first Christmas, why did Jesus leave his throne in heaven to take human form and die on the cross? Well, Jesus tells you why. Matthew 18 verse 11, for the Son of Man has come for the tinsel and the Christmas carols. Does it say that? No, that's very clear in red letters. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And to reemphasize, what do you think, disciples? No contest. Jesus says he rejoices more. If you want to know what matters most to God, blessing the found or saving the lost, hands down. Saving the lost. That's going to disturb some Calvinists among us. Hello. Come on. Hard to hear, I know, but it's in red letters. Jesus spells it out. To hit it home even harder, the same parable of the lost sheep is retold in Luke 15, only this time Luke adds a bit of extra sauce to it. He says this, verse 7, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous person who do not need to repent. It's classically Jewish the way Jesus tells it, right? It's, it's, it's bold, it's, it's, it's blunt, it's comparative of two extremes to emphasize the point. Here's Jesus saying 99 saved. One lost person, comparative extremes. And if you want to know what matters most to heaven, if you want to know where the real party is, it's a little bit like this. If 99 Christians get a job promotion, 99 Christians sell the house at the price they want, 99 Christians, hello, get a bit of peace, 99 Christians get some comfort, you'll get a golf clap in heaven. But if only one sinner, one sinner says Jesus, if there's another Renee Griffiths, if there's another Renee Griffiths, just one more, just one more Renee Griffiths, there's a party up in heaven, come on. I know this is disrupted theology because we're the 99. Every angel in heaven go, good on you Gary, awesome, great, Leah. fantastic. But where are my Renees? Where are my Renees? It's so clear in the red what matters most to God. So let me ask you again, does what matter most to you line up with what matters most to God? Do the urgencies of your life line up with the urgencies of heaven? Do the priorities of your heart line up with the priorities of God's heart? Jesus said to the disciples as they were walking out, my food my priority, my urgency, my mandate. What matters most to me is what matters most to God. I'm here not just to start His work, I'm here to finish it. I'm here to do it. I, it's, it's time for the church to reawaken again and to realign ourselves with the heart of Jesus. What matters most to Jesus is not often what matters most to me. I've got to be honest when I read John, this passage in John, I've got to be honest with you. When it comes to Christmas time, what matters to us are not always what matters most to Jesus. Christmas has been hijacked. By department stores and online stores and all the rest. You know, when 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 Christmas Day when the Jesus that left his throne in heaven came to earth, it was part of, if not the backbone of the greatest rescue operation ever known to humanity. How did we end up here? How many of you would agree today that what matters most to God is once again to see humanity restored into right relationship with Him? You agree with me, but this does pose a bit of a conundrum for me. And you've got to understand that. I, I, I'm a church pastor, and sometimes I really don't know what to do with these scriptures that I read in the Bible. I, I really don't know what to do with the 99 and the one sheep business. I really don't know what to do with heaven rejoicing over the one that's lost, and, and you know not rejoicing all that much over the 99 who are found and blessed. I really don't know what to do with the reality of the Son of Man didn't come to comfort the saved, but to seek and save the lost. I don't know what to do with this scripture. The reason for that is because I reckon if I'd taken a survey of Nations Church across all our different campuses last week as to why you came to Nations Church and decided to make Nations Church home, it's likely that your answers would have been, my friends are here, my kids love the kids ministry here, I get something out of the preaching, pretty good, the worship is great, people are so welcoming, my old church didn't have a youth ministry, I feel I can use my gifts here, the coffee is great, the chairs are comfy, etc., None of those things are wrong. In fact, I'm glad you decided to make Nations Church home. But it would have surprised me if anyone actually wrote down, I decided to make Nations Church home because I want to be part of an army that comes to seek and save the lost. So it does pose a bit of a conundrum for me that what matters to you might not be what matters to God. It it, it does pose a bit of a strategic conundrum for me that I'm gathering my staff to figure out how to make and deliver to you what matters to you But then have to wake up on a Sunday morning reading scripture and go, actually, that's not really aligned at all with what matters most to heaven. I know this is hard to hear, but I'd rather tell you the truth and lose you than tell you a lie and keep you. As I began to steward Christmas, as I began to think about God, what is it that you want from your ecclesia, your church in the days ahead? I know I read the cards. I'm at Nation's Church because my friends brought me and I like it. here. The coffee's great. I love it. That's why we've got a whiz coffee machine. It's important to us. But can I suggest to you that it might not be the most important thing to God. He cares much more about whether we, the church, are prepared to sit by the well in the middle of the day with Him in the community. To share the gospel with people with every right to ignore and reject because we're too busy, too superior to, too good for, etc. Right? It's time to reawaken in us to what matters most to God. Do I have a church? Come on, right there. Come on. I know Bunbury's clapping their hands. I know Paul Kennedy's cheering. Come on. Jesus says this I've come to do the will of him who sent me. That's why I came. And then he says this to them. It was very pointed. It's like, you know, sometimes Jesus slaps you only to wind up for the punch. He don't goes on to say these words. I don't know if this is this is, this is ouch, man. John 4.35, do you not say? <laughs> don't put words in my mouth, Jesus. No, 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 they are, they are my words. <laughs> do you not say there are still four months? So it's a priority. He's, he's, he's exposing our priority, right? Do you, there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, do you not say this, but I say to you this, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for the harvest. Do you not say, oh, PK, come on, Christmas is such a busy time of the year. Why must you, why must you talk about like helping our community and reaching people? Like, come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. This is too hard. This is too, like, this is Christmas. Do you know, it's, it's Christmas, a busy time for me. Why don't we wait till Easter? Jesus says, you, you say wait four months. I say the time is now. I say the time is now, right? And then he says this, lift up your eyes and look. Lift up your eyes and look. So he addresses the format, the priority issue. Ah, they can wait. But then he he addresses the focus issue. Lift up your eyes and look. Let me ask you, what have you been looking at lately? Have your eyes been looking at things that matter to you, but don't really matter to God? your eyes? See, I have a love-hate relationship with my phone. I love it, but I tell you what, this thing has distracted me from so much of what matters most to God. You know what I mean? Like, my eyes, my eyes. Oh, Jesus, help my eyes. I, I, If I think about all of the things I look at, my problems... My issues, my limitations, my busyness, my chronic complaints. You know, you want a chronic complaint? The thing that, you know, people ask you how you go, oh, 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 stressed out. Whatever that just comes out of you all the time without thinking, that's your chronic complaint. When I look at the stuff, no wonder I ain't got time for the harvest. Yeah. Because what matters to me is not necessarily aligned with what matters most to God. It's time for the church to reawaken yeah. what we look at. My phone, my stuff, my issues, the greatest enemy of our effectiveness in reaching those far from God. It's not always spiritual attack, even though we like to blame it, but it's distraction. Yeah. It's just distraction. Yeah, Sometimes I think demons have no jobs. They just look at Christians and go, oh man, we don't even need to attack them. They're just so busy distracting themselves. <laughs> in the lead up to Christmas, We just make ourselves busy. We we wind ourselves up into these spins on things that don't really matter. You guys getting something out of this? Luke chapter 10 tells of a parable called the parable of the good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, right? The way Jesus tells it, again, it is, it, it is, it is. So disruptive to people's theology. It is such a disruptive status quo. The way he says it, it's like there's this dude that gets beaten up, right? And he's left for dead on the sidewalk, on the footpath, sidewalk for are American, footpath for are Australian, right? And there were three people that walked past this guy. The first guy that walks past this dude right, and sees him wounded was a priest. He crosses to the other side. Oh, I don't want to see that. Oh The second guy walks past the same dude and, and the second guy is described as a Levite being like a worship leader. So imagine Ray Ong, right? <laughs> he just, just looks like I'm picking on Ray because, because Ray's just good fun. If you were here on Father's Day, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he, he, he walks past. He walks past this, this guy. And, oh, I'm a little too busy. But the third person is a Samaritan. Again, we see this person described by their ethnicity us doesn't mean much but to the Jewish here it's like why must you bring them up, why must you bring them up? the Samaritan and the, the, the early translators decided to put the heading in this account as the parable of the good Samaritan it would have annoyed the Jews to no one because there's no such thing as a good Samaritan yeah. Samaritans were bad and yet Jesus the way he told it it's a parable of the good Samaritan This Samaritan decided, out of all the three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, the Samaritan was the one that understood what mattered most to God. This was the way Jesus told it. And what he did was he helped bandage this man, put him on his donkey, brought him to an inn, gave the innkeeper his money, decided to give to help and to bring. Can I suggest to you today that maybe if we were just to align what mattered to us with what matters to God by sitting outside of the well in the middle of the day to talk to someone in our community, the barista that serves you coffee, to serve somebody, come on, are you out there? Yeah. To someone that might just be walking past your street, that neighbor that you've been ignoring, if you decide that I am going to forego my own comfort like what the disciples did and sit outside at a well to share this living water, with them that Samaritan might one day be a Samaritan that breaks the cycle of self-centeredness and decides to give to help to bring I thank God for that young man that decided he was going to sit at the well and share with a Renee Griffiths because I know this Renee Griffiths will one day Break the cycle of a bless me, favor me Christianity. Because she knows what it's like to be lost, but now it's found. I need a resounding amen from somebody today. I know I'm preaching good. So when we read the Bible, especially in the Gospels, one thing is clear. What matters most to God is that people are reached. And I want to say this to you today, that Jesus died a heinous and humiliating death, not just to bless the found, but mostly to reach the lost. And so this time every year, we turn our hearts towards reaching people that are far from God. And so, uh, you know, every year at the, uh, at the end of the year, we, we, we come to this place where many people have said, PK, this is such an inconvenient time. Why? Why don't you bring all this stuff up now so close to Christmas? But I tell you now, the gospel's not a convenient gospel. It, 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 it's never a convenient time. Imagine if Jesus waited till it was convenient to go to the cross who have agonized in Gethsemane Jesus, it surely is, it's not, it's, it, today is not a convenient time for me to die a Roman crucifixion. But in previous years, We've seen God's smile on the church that awakens. See, I don't know about you, maybe there's something about me that just just gets a little irked that the world has hijacked the true meaning of Christmas. It just gets, I just get a little annoyed by what they've done with it. This was not why heaven's best, the darling of heaven comes to earth to get into bodily form. Emmanuel, God with us, is so much more than a Christmas carol. Come on. Emmanuel, God with us, means there is hope, there is life. For a broken world this year more than ever, coming out of a pandemic, the world needs to know that. They've got a Jesus that will sit at their well of thirst so they can never thirst again. Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com.